Hello, everyone. Welcome to From Nowhere to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons, a philosophy podcast about big topics and bite-sized pieces. I'm your host, Joel Bouchard, a graduate student in education at Liberty University. And with me is Mr. Norman Gayford, a professor of philosophy and English at Genesee Community College. God. There is no bigger topic than this. And although the question of God's existence may be the biggest in philosophy, there's much more to the discussion than whether he, she, it, they exist. What role did God play in the origins of everything? Is God inherently good? Is there just one God or many? Are we God? Is it possible God doesn't care about us anymore? We will address these questions and others today, as well as discuss if God is relevant in modern times. Before we start, I want to preface this discussion with listeners who may be ready to tune out now due to their religious or non-religious beliefs. Last episode, I said philosophy is everything, and what I meant by that is that we all have belief systems, whether or not we've critically examined them. The practice of philosophy isn't to dictate those beliefs one way or the other, but to cause us to examine why we hold those beliefs and what the evidence for them are. We have beliefs just like you do. But when we cover this topic, we're going to put them aside to look at all the possibilities. And we hope for a few moments that you can do the same. All right, Norm. um, I'm going to start us off on a tangent right away. (laughs) Because I feel like (laughs) there should be more to that monologue that I'm thinking about. You know, philosophy is about, you know, establishing a reasonable thought process for why we believe the things we do. But it's almost not, and I'm, I'm expecting some fight back on this, but it's almost not the be all end all. What I mean by that is like, let's, I'll use love as an analogy here, right? So let's say that there's a woman out there and she's more beautiful, more friendly or smarter or makes more money or, you know, whatever metric you want to use, she's better than my wife in all these ways. I don't think she exists. But if she did, let's say she exists. Does that mean that she would be a better wife than my wife? Not necessarily. You know, I think that there's some intangible characteristics there on an emotional level or on whatever level you want to say that creates a, you know, for a lack of a better word, a chemistry. And that makes, that makes an attraction. And I think that some people would say that religion is similar. Yeah, there's a logical element. I don't think many people are going to um, believe in, you know, a religious system that doesn't make sense to them. Although there are, there's examples of that. I remember reading a while back, there was a Hindu doctor and uh, one of his colleagues kind of chastised him, you know, said, well, how, how can you believe in Hinduism when we use evolution in in medicine? And the doctor essentially said, well, I use evolution in medicine, but I don't use evolution in religion, you know, and there's, there's a clear separation of the two. And I don't think many people can do that, but it, it is a possibility, you know, so. There are actually uh, quite a few people in the sciences who do do that very thing, uh, including the, the uh, gentleman who was in charge of the Human Genome Project. He became a born-again Christian and lost the regard of some of his colleagues who thought he'd gone nuts uh, and were disparaging in some ways. Uh, But he did all this work with the genome, and he continued to do so 
uh, after that conversion. I don't know what, exactly what the timeline was. And, and he did not find it a, a disconnected thing to do to think about the genome and to think about God. It, it didn't collide in those ways. And, and so that's, I'm not going to push back in the ways that you might have thought because when I'm talking with my students in, in, in the classroom, I hasten to let them know I'm, I'm not trying to proselytize them away from their faith if they have it. I, I'm certainly not interested in making them agnostic, atheist, Christian, whatever it might be. Choose your category. That's not the point. The point is to think about why we, we have these systems and what they do or do not do for one as an individual and to question, not, not to question to undermine, to question to seek consistency. And perhaps question, and a philosophical question can make a person of faith deeper in their faith by making them, encouraging them into a more dynamic relationship with a text, which then leads to God, perhaps. <clears throat> but the, the same thing can, questioning can also lead one away from uh, standard thoughts about a system. And so if the system is just you do it because it's a system, not because you're interacting with it intellectually or spiritually, then you're sort of rote instead of being philosophical. Yeah, so I mean, the long story short is that, you know, we're going to talk about some things that might that are going to seem heretical to anybody that's religious or are going to seem fanciful to anybody who's not religious. But the the process of philosophy is to look at look at things and and try to understand them and to look at your possibilities, you know. So that's what we're going to we're going to try to do. So we're going to start out here um with talking about what the reasons are for God. And that might sound kind of weird because, you know, if, if you're religious, you're going to think, well, no, God is the reason and humans are, you know, a manifestation of that. But thinking about it in, in human terms, what, what reasons are there for a God? And when you look across the various religions. And so the first one is um, the one that comes to mind first is cosmological origins. You know, humans have a need to understand where things came from. Yeah. So, so what, what do you have on cosmological origins as far as God's concerned? Well, you, even pre, uh, pre-Christian, uh, not pre-all religions, depending on the ancientness of them, um, Plato, well, people before Plato, but, but he examined in his dialogues the, the notion of whether or an Aristotle, even the pre-Socratics, what happened? Where did things come from? And to oversimplify, but to get to the point of one of the their ideas that generated, that continued, was that there was a cause and effect analysis leading backward to the positing that there needed to be an unmoved mover, a prime mover, that which was not created, but which was there. Because otherwise you get into an infinite regression. Mm. This was caused by that, that was caused by that, and so on. And, and there was some point that 
uh, the ancients said, we've got to stop this. It'll drive us crazy. There needs to be a, a mover that moved all else. Well, once you establish that, then you try to think about, well, why did the mover move all else and how and to what levels or degrees, uh, as you were talking about a moment ago. And so you, you've got that, the, the cosmological, uh, there's sort of a, a three-part split possibly here. The one is that the, the theistic that says God created the universe and uh, had intent and purpose for doing so and is very much involved with that universe uh, and all of the creations uh, therein, all of the levels of creation therein. Uh, a second one is uh, the more deistic, which uh, God is the watchmaker, made this brilliant watch. You and I had a conversation uh, about the uh, the cars, not not the muscle car, but what was the other name? The hypercar. And so I, I think of the hypercar in, in deistic terms. God makes this remarkable thing, sets it in motion, and then watches. I like to think even a deistic God says, okay, I'm going to walk around this huge universe that I've created and I'll come back and check in on you folks later. Right. Yeah. Cause it's not even necessarily standing back and watching, you know, it could just build that and then go on and build another car and never look at the other one again. That's, that's also part of that deistic. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of that. And the third one is the, the atheistic, which, uh, you know, agnostic shading into that. They aren't the same thing, but, um, coming to terms with the universe that didn't have to be created by a divinity, um, but nonetheless came into being, exists, uh, quantum physicists trying to figure all of this out. And, and so how do you come to terms with the universe if there's no intended purpose for you that somehow comes from without? Yeah, and so talking about God is interesting because it's the most ancient of concepts, but it really... Um, addresses the most modern of scientific questions. Like if you read through St. Thomas Aquinas, what you find is it's basically, you know, talking about the laws of thermodynamics. Hey, things can't come from nothing. Living things can't come from non-living things. Things can't move without being moved. And these are all, you know, reasons for God, you know, thing we need to have an explanation for where did all the stuff come from? Why is it all in motion? There's a thing called the anthropic principle, which you probably are very familiar with. And so essentially the notion that the proof that we exist, if the universe, if so to speak, were a few degrees warmer or colder, uh, then our species wouldn't be able to exist. And therefore the universe was created for us. Well, so anthropic as in human focused, but then again, one could say, well, and if if the universe were a few degrees warmer or colder, we never would have been here to speculate about that, and some other life form would. So it's, it's to say that it was made for us, I, it's understandable from a faith position, um, philosophically, but it's equally understandable to say, hey, we got lucky. Yeah, it's almost like looking at seeing a tree sprouting, you know, sprouting up between you know, a crack in concrete and saying that that crack in the concrete was made for the tree. Well, no, the tree kind of found its way through. It, it found a way to survive, but it, it was a, uh, 
you know, as an antagonistic environment. Um, so going into our, our second reason for God, and this one kind of interests me because if you look at religious systems throughout the world, I think a majority of them, especially monotheistic ones, tend to make these two concepts inextricable. And I was thinking about the other day, and I'm not sure why that is. And that is our second reason for God is, you know, essentially ethical, ethical dilemmas or ethical authority, you know, saying that God is the source of good and he's, you know, he's responsible for it. And so people tend to see God as, you know, this original creator, but also this source of ultimate good. And I'm not sure why the two have to be linked together, but what, what sort of background can you give us on ethical, the ethical reason for why we need God? Okay. That's excellent. So we start with Plato. Uh, uh, Plato did something that we are uh, tooled around with a thing we call divine command theory. Uh, he, he was asking not of one God, but of the Greek gods, for instance. Uh, so a God or gods deem something good. And Plato had the temerity, <laughs> had the courage to say, okay, so is that because it's good because the gods say so, or it's good in and of itself. Um, so just because a god says something is good, you can question why it would be. So the, he, he launched all of this with, mm-hmm. uh, with, with that idea. Then you have, um, well, you talked about Aquinas and St. Anselm and others who were, who were wrestling with theodicy, mm-hmm. which is a lovely term. It simply means the problem of evil. So if God is all powerful, all, all the four omnis, omniscient and so on, how could this be? And, and people well, like, well, uh, Boethius uh, say, well, because God is outside of the world. The world is a system um, that, is, that is put together, but God does not intrude to make those decisions that, and and you see the and i'm sure you see this in your have in your studies and your readings and in, in your life where uh, essentially what that means is it's up to us we have the free will the the, the free will issue is argued both by atheists and by christians and people of all religions to what degree is there utter free will we can choose to do anything we want to do to what degree is it all predetermined and there have been enough religious wars about who's what's determined and what's not over the the, the, the centuries but if the your uh, the god is on the outside then within the system we make decisions does god know we're making those decisions boethius uh would say yes however leap forward into the the late 20th century and there's a, a remarkable philosopher named charles hartshorn who asserted that God is in process because the universe is in process. Uh, some, he was a strong Christian philosopher. People took issue with that and say, well, what, does that mean God's not perfect? He said, no, God is continuing to come into being. God is the ultimate ontology. God has uh, launched this whole thing and is growing and therefore does not know what's coming next. Knows what has happened, but does not know the future and so does not know what we are going 
to do and probably finds it more fascinating because of that. That comes into the really fascinating question of time and how time operates. And that will be our next, that'll be our next episode. So we'll, we'll save some of that for, for that. By the way, that's called, Hart's work called process theology. I should at least use the terms once in a while. So the, the yeah. God is process. Yeah. Makes it easier to, to research. Um, let's move into perceptions of God. So you already, you already mentioned them. Let's dive a little bit deeper into monotheism, polytheism, pantheism, all the theisms and, and what they mean and how, how they influence religions. Okay. So we'll start with the simplest one. Monotheism, the, the one prime mover, the unmoved mover, the uncaused cause, one single being of the, uh, pantheism, well, pantheism gets even a little more complicated than it sounds because pantheism can mean uh, many gods. People uh, refer to it as that. But there's also a, a philosopher uh, who says that God, every, God is eminent, imminent, uh, with an I, in everything. Everything is within God. And so God becomes not a personal being, but but creative force, which takes me into Star Wars, yeah, right? That's, a, that's immediately what I thought. <laughs> uh, but the idea of pantheism as everything has an element of God within it. Um, and while I wouldn't assert that something like Quakerism, for instance, is pantheistic, nonetheless, one of the prime principles of of uh, motive principles in Quakerism is that there's that of God in every one. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a kind of pantheistic statement. Um, so you have the idea of the inner and the outer, the rules, the ethics, the morals, whatever, the principles either come from without, uh, from God saying, thou shalt, and so on, or they come from within. Now, the transcendentalists had another in the 1800s, uh, Emerson and Thoreau and so on, um, were saying that God is within, that uh, we, tr- we, we become transcendent by being what we can be through our intellect and through our spiritual recognition of God within us that then leads us into the world to see the, the world as it is. And then there are those who say, no, the morals and the, 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 the atheists, um, even agnostics who just can't prove that God exists, can't prove that God doesn't exist, open on both ends, who say th- that ultimately our ethical behavior is coming from us. We determine that because nobody else is telling us what we're supposed to do. Now, again, we have rules and regulations, you know, but that ultimately that's coming from the human determining what's right and what's not. Right. Yeah. And that, that kind of, I mean, that really brings back into the reason for God, you know, it's, it's a very obfuscated sort of, um, of thing, you know, it's, do does God exist because we need somebody to answer to in order to have an organized society or is God dictating rules that, you know, it's, it's really kind of a. There, there have been fine, fine writers who have said 
that if God didn't exist, we would have created him. Right. Or if God didn't exist, we would have created them. That, which is an interesting statement that implies so much that we, I suppose, and I, again, I'm, I, I won't be apologetic. You already did the, the, the preface statement. So this is bound to bother somebody, but that's not its intent. Let's think of childhood. God is the invisible friend. Well, I'm not, I'm not, you know, trying to oversimplify that. I'm just saying if one of the reasons we would create God as a concept, so we wouldn't be so lonely in an incredibly vast universe. So that we seek the validation of meaning by something from without. And so that's, that's the essential mystery of God is, is trying to determine, you know, does God exist? And are these things that we're seeing evidence of that existence? Or is the human Im- imagination and the, you know, evolutionary ability to identify patterns and concepts and create reasons, you know, like you said, causing us to create a source for something that we just don't understand but has perfectly rational origins. And I'm not saying that it's one way or the other. We don't, we don't know. And that's, that's why we ask the questions, you know, and some people feel that they do know one way or the other. Yes, they do. And, and, and having had the life that I've had, I have been both on the inside and the outside of the system. I, I can understand that. Uh, you know, what, where, where I get frustrated as a fellow human being is when people become moralistic rather than, um, rather than thinking about what is good as a human thing. It's here are the things that must be good and other things aren't. And we have the answer, and therefore, and we being whatever choice. I mean, think of uh, about across cultures, Christian or non-Christian. The, one of the most ancient folkloric things. Do you do you know, Joel, what every culture refers to itself as in ancient myth, in ancient storytelling, oral or written? Okay, when the creation happens, and there are beautiful creation stories of all kinds across the planet. The people rise. Not a people, the people, we, the people, uh, we are the people, then there are the other people. I mean, this is as old as it, as it gets. So the definite article, the, implies a preference, the chosen. Uh, that's where the difficulties arise. And part of that is just human, hey, we're us, so we must be the best. Yeah, <laughs> man, you see that? The tribalism is invasive of every institution that there is today, and it's becoming even more prevalent in modern times. But that that brings us, let's talk about the, the non-religious aspects. So let's talk about atheism and agnosticism and deism, because you know, we, we just established that sort of um, you know, way of thinking that religious people have, but I think that these non-religious or a-religious sort of viewpoints are also religious in their own sort of aspects. So yeah, well, that, that the little prefix a 
you know, like uh, amoral or uh, atheistic. If you take the word theistic, it means you look at a system that's that's created and focused upon the prime mover, a God. Atheistic means without theism. So it's essentially, it's uh, somehow because of this pejorative, this negatively inclined, uh, connotatively uh, word that is an insulting word. So those atheists or, you know, uh, as if I would then look at somebody else to say, well, you theist you. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, it's really a, a word link, language philosophy, different topic, but, but uh, you, you mentioned deism. Deism is not, deism is still Christian. You see, this, and this is where it confuses so many people about the founders of our country. Now, it's not, it's not as simple as this either, but primarily the Christianity that was primarily in place in the people who founded our, who wrote our documents, not exclusively, but to a large extent, were, were Christian, yes, but were deist. They were the clockmaker folks. They acknowledged that a God created the universe, but then it was up to us. And that God didn't have any particular, God didn't intrude with miraculous intent here and there to scare people to do this or that, or to win people over. Here it is. The universe has been given to us. What do we do with it? Uh, the human uh, has to make the, that decision. So that's still considered a branch of Christianity or a flavor of Christianity. And so agnosticism is almost kind of a link between that and atheism. Because that's, it's basically saying, well, yeah, there, there could be a God or there could not be, we don't know. And if there is one, we're not really sure to what extent he's interacting with us or isn't interacting with us. So it, it's sort of that link between there is no God and there is a God, but he's not really. This is where Pascal's wager comes in. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So if it's possible that there's a, if. And the, you know, and then it has all that punitive stuff. So if it's possible that uh, you will go to hell or or receive some kind of punishment for the life you've lived, and you don't believe, it, but if it's possible that it happens, maybe you just say, "Well, okay, I'm going to live as if I believe," because ultimately it may turn out better for me. Well. That doesn't work for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that is where that kind of thing arises. So yeah, the agnostic says, hmm, I'm, I'm thinking about this. Uh, I don't know. Uh, and there are all kinds of good reasons for me not to know. And, and an agnostic will, a person might consider like Anselm's, of uh, essentially the ontological proof of God. If we can, it's much more complicated than this five steps and I'm not going to try that right now but it's but the essence of it is if we can conceive of God and we conceive of any creature greater than God let's say for the point of argument no okay so then if we say if we take the next step and say well okay and we can conceive of something is it possible that what we conceive of is greater than what actually can exist? And in his case, he said, no. So if you can conceive of God, that's still not the greatest it can be until the God actually exists. And therefore, the proof goes on to say that you know, logically that's God exists. This reminds me of, this reminds me of Marvel comic books. Stan Lee, Stan Lee died this week, but it reminds me of, um, 
you know, people always say that Wolverine or the Hulk or some other favorite characters, but these are really just minor characters in the Marvel universe. And you see that the characters get stronger and bigger and more universal until there's essentially a character. I've, his name escapes me, but it's just essentially Jack Kirby and Stan Lee saying that you can just erase people in and out of existence or write them in and whatnot. And it's kind of that same thing. It's like, well, can you imagine somebody beyond that? You know, like right. he was called the Beyonder. That was the, oh, that was his, yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. And so it's that same thing. And and Stephen Hawking addressed it in his his last work. Um, you know, he's say, essentially saying, you know, you can't say that there's not God, but you can ask if there is a God who created God and who created him, and is it turtles all the way down? You know, how does how does that all work out? And and I think that that kind of, you know, that's, that's the essential question, you know. There was a, there's a book by Alan Lightman. It's a delightful small book. He's a scientist. He's a, he is a, a, a writer, a lyric writer in many ways. Uh, <clears throat> his books, uh, one of his books is called Mr. G. And it addresses that very question. Mr. G is, of course, God. But Mr. G is only the current iteration of previous ones. And so it does that infinite regression to magnify the unknown of the universe. I think what it really comes to, and this is we, we don't solve it, we're not trying to, and that's why we're doing what we're doing. But uh, for someone like me who has studied religions and philosophy, I'm by no degree perfect at it. Nobody is, but I'm certainly not. I'm low person on the so-called pole. But yeah. what's really important in sacred texts, when one reads them and thinks about them, is the thinking about them. What do these stories tell us about our capacities to be human, what we value, when we hate, when we love, when, when we are prejudiced and biased in incredible ways of uh, when we justify taking over someone else's land, when we do all these things that humans do, these stories speak to elements of that. And not just the Bible, the, the Torah, the, uh, the Quran, and so on, um, the Bhagavad Gita. And so they're fascinating for that. So when I talk to my students about this and assure them that I, I am not you know, it's not like those movies that come out that are the terrible, evil philosophy professor who's trying to take religion away from students. Nonsense. Uh, you can't take something away from people like an, an idea. But to me, the value is I don't need there to be a salvational moment. Thank you very much. I don't know if there's students concerned about me about that kind of thing, but I, I don't need that. I'm fascinated enough by what it tells me about humans. And I'm glad the literature exists because uh, it, is, it is so remarkably illuminating about our psychology. Um, yeah, and it's, um, you know, I think that there are two aspects to it. And I think that it really comes down to that there is, there's the religious aspect, you know, how of viewing a text, but there's also the, um, you know, what it, what it says about being human, you know, and if you look at the Torah, or if you if you look at Hindu religions, at all all the specific gods, what all those specific gods are saying, or what those first five books of the Bible are, it's, it's essentially a template on how to live. 
you know, or a, a template on how to, you know, it, like you were saying, it's all of those things that are about, about being human. It's an interesting thing. But that's a good kind of segue into the character of God, you know, an Eastern versus Western, um, anthropomorphizing versus abstracting. Um, what are kind of the different views that people have around the world on what constitutes God? Well, we've already, it's, it's, we've already laid out essentially the, the width of the spectrum from the, from the imminent I-M-M-A-N-E-N-T um, God within the very fabric of the universe, or rather the universe was in the very fabric of God, uh, to a force which is a creative force which is outside of time and can see and know everything, it's all there, but doesn't necessarily intrude. There are all sorts of varieties of that. To the God who is anthropomorphic and very intrusive, um, uh, perhaps whimsically, perhaps seemingly randomly, but for whatever, uh, uh, back to the ancients in various cultures in which it's a motive force primarily as if creation had to happen because creation just would have had to be. It's, it's, you see, a, you see a lot of variety. You know, with the Greeks, essentially, their gods were sort of like a soap opera. It was almost entertainment, <laughs> you know, yeah. in, in some regards. And then, you know, you have, um, you know, Norse, Norse mythology where you have comical characters, you have powerful characters, you know, you have characters responsible for different weather phenomena, that sort of thing. Of course, I have Christian um, religion where you know, God is meant to interact on a personal level and became, you know, came and became part of it. I'm, I'm going I'm to stop uh, and pop in on that one too because you were asking about different, there is a, I, I cannot name the book and the writer right at the moment. I don't know, maybe I can find it to insert it for you later. I will find it. Um, uh, one of the uh, Princeton Theological Seminary, preeminent uh, theological college in one of those in the world. And, and graduates, many, many people who go out and do their pastoring work. Um, but a young man who went out and did that very thing and finally decided he had to stop because he said, everything that I learned about God and, and, and all the things that are considered too complicated for people out in the parishes and out in the small churches, he said, I couldn't, couldn't lie to them anymore. The, the disconnect between what I learned and what I know and what I believe in, what they want to hear um, is so vastly different. Um, uh, another book in which the, the person was looking at God in the Christian sense through the sacred text as really a study of the process theology, again, except the process of young, angry, and moody, up through balanced and even middle age to uh, nightmarish senility has presented across the text. Um, and again, that would uh, offend some people, but it, stepping back and looking at the narrative or narratives uh, in the very complicated structure of the Bible, one can see that. One doesn't have to accept that, but there's there, the, the, the angry God goes up through the new covenant when there's no more world destruction for a while and, and, and the story of, of Jesus up to the 
ending days, which becomes very conflict, the conflagrations, the the ultimate of okay, so heaven come to earth as a walled city, that kind of stuff. Uh, that's very different than a prime mover, right? Yeah. So, and I think that there's one interesting point I want to make, which is that when you look at religions that have different sects, and Christianity is a good example. You have all these different sects of Christianity, and obviously the biggest um, difference would be the, the great schism between the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church. I think that the reason some of these things develop is when, you know, a, a the group of believers, the people that are sitting in the pews, listening to somebody talk, what they realize is that it's much more complicated than what people want. You know, I think the people want to have a personal connection. They want there to be an intuitive, emotional, spiritual, personal aspect to religion. And when religion, when the philosophical processes of religion build to such an extent that a normal person can't understand what's happening, they're bound to rebel and reject, reject that sort of process, you know. And you see that happen in all kinds of all kinds of religions, not just Christianity. But you had a great segue into our last section, which is the history of God and how humans have reconceptualized God or how our abstraction of deity has progressed throughout history. What's different from 2000 BC, Egypt to modern times? The difference in the way we see God acting? Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, so maybe it'd be easier to look at similarities. You know, what, so what things, not, not the religious minutia so much, but what are the, the characteristics of God, what sort of role he plays or fulfills in our lives throughout time? Well, God or gods, but, but we'll stick with one of, of, Mighty answerer, <laughs> uh, the holder of ancient, the holder of, of universal wisdom that is not always parsed out to, to, to people, the, the, uh, intrusive fixer, the being who says, uh, fix it yourself, but I'm trying to show you that the answers are in front of you, of uh, the, the, the presence that might not be a personalized being that uh, causes poets, painters, and ordinary people to have moments where, uh, a little side note, had a wonderful friend, uh, he was Muslim, much younger man than I, he called me a crazy old man, uh, and his wife taught at the college. Um, they've since uh, split, he's remarried and he's back in his homeland. But marvelous soul. And, and he bumped his head one day. And when he's living with my wife and me for a while, he bumped his head uh, on a doorway. And he said, thank you. And I said, Sally, what are you thanking? Um, God has reminded me to be attentive. Allah has reminded me to be attentive. And I said, do you know, young man, that, that there are so many times in, in my life when um, sometimes I'll be hanging up the clothes or I'll, I'll be trimming a a flower bush or walking, and I'll just stop and say, think about my, my children or, or the things in life that are just so remarkable and, and, and say thank you. And, and he says, and I remember, he said, well, what are you saying thank you to? And I said, I don't know, 
some something larger than I am. Well, that's not the same as Allah. That's more of the Charles Hartshorn uh, process theology eminent. Uh, but, but I think that's the range from the first from a force that is a primarily creative and motive force to, uh, to a much more anthropomorphic, um, recognizable being. It's not like this, then this, then this, and they all just went in nice order, but it vacillates among these things to a, back to a, uh, uh, to a wise sort of anthropomorphic, but probably not mostly force to then just a force again. Uh, so it's like a, a cycle or, uh, and, and then there's the pantheistic element of, well, a force which is involved in everything. So a, a, a stone can have that of God in it. And of course, you might treat a stone differently if you thought that. Um, yeah, and the, one of the interesting ones I stumbled upon was um, pandeism, which is essentially to say that there is a God and he was a creative force, but in becoming, but in creating the universe, he became the universe. And that's why he no longer interacts with the universe. Just sort of an interesting side note, you know, and, and like you said, if you think about things that way, it would change the way that you treat everybody. The Holy yeah. Ghost in the machine. It's not just the ghost, it's the Holy, the Holy ghost, ghost in the machine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I think that the history, you know, looking at God, the similarities and differences of how he's changed throughout history, I think you can also see that around the world as well, from, um, you know, third world countries to first world countries, yeah. that sort of thing. You, know. you see the difference in religion and the difference in what role the religion plays and what the people are relying on the religion for and i think that it's very similar to how it would be viewed from the past to the present as well there's sort of a three-dimensional kind of interaction and you're going to have this wrestling match always between the, the the progressive elements of any given religion and the fundamentalist elements of often which can be regressive to any any given religion and and like any other newtonian force these things wrestle uh, to various effects for ethical, moral decision-making in the world. Okay, well, that'll bring us to our topic for the episode, which is, um, is there room for God in modern times? And of course, based on what we were just saying, that's not just in modern times, but also in a, a modern world, you know, as opposed to a, a third world or something. Okay, all right. So I've got, I've got three points, and the first one mentions, references Pascal's wager that we talked about earlier, which is essentially, you know, you have a pundit square that says whether or not you should believe in God, and the ultimate answer is you should because you end up either going to heaven or living a good life, or if you don't believe in God, you can do whatever you want and maybe you're fine, or you can do whatever you want and maybe you end up in hell. So you're better off believing in God. But like you said, that doesn't do it for you. And I, I don't think it does it for a lot of people because it lacks what, what we talked about at the very beginning of the episode, which is it doesn't, there's that personal, spiritual, intuitive connection. It strips it of that and it's a purely rational thing, which we, you know, this is philosophy. We want to examine the systems. We want to examine the rationalities. But at the same time, 
confessing that that's not all there is to religion. You know, you, you, it's hard to frame it in pure rationale. But Pascal's wager, um, says we're better off believing than not believing. So that's something that transcends time. It doesn't matter if it's a modern time. It doesn't matter if you're in a first world country. If you look around you and you look at, you know, current scientific things, we still can't figure out how things come from non things. We can't figure out how life comes from non life. We can't figure out why a cat purrs. Come on. That's your- and you know what? Even if we did, even if, even if God showed up, you know, and said, I'm God and everybody saw it and everybody agreed on it, there would still be the question of what was before him or what created him or people would still ask these questions. There is no answers. There's only more questions. And that's the foundation of philosophy. So that was my first sort of contribution to it was Pascal's wager says you're better off believing because no matter what answers you find, there's going to be more questions that you can't explain. Would you like to go on to your point or you want me to go through all three? Uh, well, I, I, I probably have fewer points than you. You, you. you asked if there's room for God in the... Right. Right. I want you to go to your second because I, I think I'm going to take them all together. My second point was something that we re- referenced briefly at the beginning of the show, which is that religious tribalism is responsible for a lot of the suffering in the world. You know, you look around and you see a lot of the hate, a lot of the boundary lines drawn, a lot of the wars, a lot of the day-to-day issues on per- interpersonal levels, but also on national levels stem from tribalism. And whether that be religious or political, to be completely honest, it's hard to separate the two in many cases. You know, they all, they all stem from this original point. And so that's sort of my counter to the, to the first point, which is that, well, yeah, according to reason and logic, you're better off believing, but also you have this aspect where if you look at things objectively, you see that there's a lot of, when you do have so much emotion and so much intuitive, you know, um, force behind something, that sort of short circuits some of the, that logic and you begin to, like you were saying, the people, not people, the people. You, you form these groups and you start to see other people as something different and even lesser than what they are. And it's, it's a dangerous thing. So that was my second point. And my third point, you know, the kind of played into the two sum is just asking the question of where does God start and end? You know, where is there, would there ever be a time in the future when we wouldn't, when we wouldn't need God? You know, was there a time in the beginning when there was no God or ever since human consciousness existed, ever since human culture or since the beginning was there God? And in the end, will there always be God? And I think the answer to that is probably yes. I think that from the beginning and to the end, there will always be God. And you can take that to mean whatever you'd like. You know, if that reinforces a belief system, then that, then that's great. But it's just kind of an intriguing question about how it plays into our everyday lives now. 
you you were extremely articulate about this. So I I'm going to try to play the jazz again and pull things in. I'm going to start with what you just ended with. There is much discussion now, currently, about the evolutionary value of religion, thus the evolutionary value of thinking of God. And your question is a lovely one. Is there a room in the world, in the current world, for God? Well, that, as if anyone could remove such a concept once begun. Even if we evolve past the necessity of, or seeming necessity for having the intensity of feeling that some folks do, some groups do, suppose we have, we evolve past that, that it'll be a, for some people, it'll still be a meaningful idea. It will be for many people, a meaningful idea in the sense of the historicism of ideas. Once out, that idea is not going to go away. And so, you know, how many angels fit on the head of a pin? Well, how do you put God back into Pandora's box? Right. Which is a mixing of mythologies, but there we go. Uh, so I, I don't, uh, of course, there's, there's room for God because within the mind, there is as much space as the universe itself. Um, so yeah, I think that that works. Is there a necessity for God? Well, there seems to be for a, a, a lot of people, for as you said, a very wide range of meaning, um, purposes. And to try to take that away from somebody, uh, this is not surgery. We can't go in and excise a notion. Uh, an idea will diminish or, or amplify or remain depending on its use, the very utility of it, or the poetic attraction of it. And we are storytelling animals, so we're always going to tell stories about God, God's power, probably. Unless we become so utterly rational that we've gone past that. So even going past Scowl's Wager uh, and to say uh, there's no need to worry about things, we need to worry about what we do right now. I think that's the point at which agnosticism, atheism, theism can come together. If, if, if you, one looks at the best elements of religions across cultures, uh, at, and not even really uh, Buddhism, which is technically really not a religion, uh, as much. Let's say that it's the idea of living in the moment as best we can. If that moment in the sense of time, different topic, but is, is God, then we're living within God at that, that time. If that moment is a moment that just happens to exist because the universe came into being, we're still honoring the moment and perhaps being what we can be, uh, most fruitfully by not being distracted all of the time. And somebody would say, yes, you see, and that's God telling us to, to, to pay attention. We can't prove that, or we can't disprove it, but I think that the living in the moment is probably, it's a sort of different Pascalian thing. Honoring God if God exists, but honoring humanity whether God exists or not. I think that is a perfect way to wrap things up. You know, it's basically saying, you know, yes, logic and reason and figuring out why things exist and why things work the way they are is an inherent part of being human. But just as 
central to being human is having emotions, having intuitive thoughts and perceptions, wanting to be connected with the universe and, and everything else. And, you know, it's really, it's more complicated than anybody will be able to understand. Yeah. I'm going to answer one other thing if I can, well, because I want to sort of, maybe we'll edit this, maybe we won't, but, but I couldn't, I have my moments when I sometimes wish everything that's wrought because of religion would, you know, vanish, but we all have our moments. I no more would want to somehow berate, deny, or take away the belief uh, that some of my, the dearest souls in my life hold that 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 help them with the moment, that help them with life. Then I would would want them to try to take away or diminish where I am, you know, because because to to attempt to diminish someone else uh, is to live against the philosophy of being human. Yeah, it's all, it's, it's tribalism one way or the other. You know, and like we talked about earlier, there's a, there's too much demonizing of, of atheists. You know, there's, there's a negative connotation put in there when in reality, probably the majority of society lives their life practically as atheists. Lots of people don't give a lot of thought to this sort of thing, you know? Um, but if you have, if you have, you know, if you're willing to, degrade or you know go against somebody because of a belief or a lack of belief then it's not just it's not just seemingly wrong from a human standpoint but also whatever higher moral ethical religious code you subscribe to it's against that too i can, I can almost guarantee it it's not nothing so so be good to each other examine why you believe things and don't be afraid to feel and engage with ideas and, and religions on your own. With that, thank you for listening to From Nowhere to Nothing, Ontological Oxymorons. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Recording and production are provided by me, Joel Bouchard, and the song featured in the show is Questions off my album Jaguars, which you can find on Spotify or anywhere MP3s are sold. Until next time, keep on it.